is Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Thanks for being here. Happy to have you on a Tuesday afternoon, wherever you may be. Whatever Netflix shows you may be binge watching. Whatever outdoor activities you may be participating in, I hope quarantine finds you in a sound state of mind, in a safe state of being, and uh, I hope you haven't murdered your family yet. (laughs) That's all. That's all we can hope for, really. At the end of the day, all we can really control is whether or not we murder our family. And I think that if zero homicides are committed on my premises... This has been a successful global pandemic. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm getting really close. I'm telling you, I'm getting really close. I got no sports to watch. I got limited amounts of pop culture to discuss. There's only so many hours in a day that I can podcast. There's only so many hours in the day that I can play Yahtzee on my phone. (laughs) You know? At every turn, my family is there staring me right in the face. And I think so far we've been getting along so far. I mean, we're we're a pretty close family in general, I think. Um, you know, we don't really hate each other. There's no major strife in our family unit. And there's only five of us. So, you know, I think, I think we are better equipped for this than most of America. But even I, during these trying times, have gotten the urge to, I don't know, just push my mother off a cliff (laughs) gently of course with love with love i mean what is love but the desire to push that person off of a very high cliff uh hi this is cultured i haven't done this podcast in a while because not much has happened in the world of popular culture i mean culture is happening all the time, like real culture, culture that's going to be written about in history books, economic strife, uh, socio-political uh, strife, uh, like all that stuff is happening. It's the biggest crisis of our lifetime. I think that the coronavirus will go down as the most significant event that I will ever live through. But uh, yeah, that means that movies aren't coming out and it means that television shows are delaying production and it means that musicians are doing concerts from their living rooms but not putting out a lot of new stuff from a recording studio. So yeah, as real news is happening all over the world, this brand of let's call it fake news has been put on pause. And I don't mean fake news in the Trumpian sense. I just mean to say that news coming out of Hollywood isn't actual news, which I don't think is a particularly controversial thought. Um, (laughs) Anyway, what are we talking about this week? Well, there was some stuff coming out of the greater Los Angeles area. There were some stories that I look forward to sinking my teeth into today. I'm not saying that we are nearing the end of our dry spell, far from it, but I do think that we have found an oasis in the desert, a momentary oasis, and uh, that oasis is called Quibi. (laughs) Let's talk Quibi! Woo! Quick Bits, Quibi, Jeffrey Katzenberg. It's a new app. Have you downloaded it yet? Have you signed up for your 90-day trial to Quibi? 
Have you been binge watching the latest Sophie Turner, Corey Hawkins teen drama about a suicidal uh, bipolar chick on the run? Is that the plot of that show? I'm not quite sure. Yo, Quibi's fucking weird, dude. <laughs> you know, this thing was just as much a train wreck as I anticipated. In fact, more of a train wreck than I anticipated. It, it's really unbelievable. Let me check the the iTunes charts on this. Let me check the app store. I want to see where Quibi is on the top 10 chart. Okay, so we got Quibi at number five. In the app store behind Zoom, Cloud Meetings, Google Hangouts, TikTok, and Google Classroom. Okay, so you know what? Eh, it's above Instacart. It's above House Party. According to this, people would rather watch a reboot of Punked starring Chance the Rapper <laughs> than get groceries delivered to their door. So I'd call that a win for old Jeffrey Katzenberg. Old Jeffy Katz changing television. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> look, man, it's so easy to bash Quibi and I'm about to bash Quibi just like everyone else, but give me a moment to focus on the positives. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I'm trying to find a unique point of view that I can, uh, that I could carve out for myself and I'm trying really hard. I'm squinting as hard as I can at this Quibi app looking for uh, the bright spots and believe me they are few and far between here's the positives right here is a reason why quibi may succeed if you don't know what quibi is by the way which you may not know it's a new app just released monday dropped midnight on monday and the premise is television streaming service you pay seven bucks a month for it but each episode of each series is under 10 minutes long So this app is built for the moments in between moments. Maybe you're on a commute on the subway. Maybe you're in the break room at work and you have to kill a half hour. Um, You know, maybe you're at the doctor's office and you're waiting to be seen. This is supposed to be content to fill those idle moments. They're short. They're snackable. They're easily bingeable. They uh, they require a very short attention span, but it's still a paid streaming service, just like Netflix, just like Hulu, and it has the production value of a big Hollywood production. There are writers rooms, there are directors, there are cinematographers, there are high profile actors, like I just said, Sophie Turner, Corey Hawkins are on the app, um, but you also have people like Christoph Waltz and Luke Hemsworth who are on a modern day adaptation of the most dangerous game. Evidently, there's a reboot of The Fugitive coming to Quibi. So uh, the idea is television, as you know it, but designed for smartphones and designed for 10-minute increments. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the former head of DreamWorks and of Disney, uh, a a big Hollywood producer, one of the most powerful Hollywood producers uh, that, that, that the industry has today, is at the helm. He has been uh, raising money for this app for the past three years. He pitched it, I think, first in 2016. I could be wrong about that. Check my math on that. So this has long been um, a, a, a talked about pet project in the entertainment press and has been, frankly, a punchline amongst the entertainment press. I don't think anybody ever believed in this app except for Jeffrey Katzenberg and except for the $2 billion worth of investors 
that gave money to this thing. They've raised $2 billion thus far. Who knows if those investors will ever see their money again. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the story of Quibi, the development of Quibi was a more fascinating story than the launch of Quibi. I, I, it's one of those things where it was more interesting in premise than it was in execution. I guess time will tell. I shouldn't rush to judgment. Here's the positives. Jeffrey Katzenberg has a large Rolodex and he has leveraged it to attract mainstream talent. Huge names are on this app. Chrissy Teigen is on a Judge Judy ripoff show where she it's called. Uh, uh, what is it? Chrissy's Court. And like she <laughs> moderates disputes between plaintiffs and defendants and uh, rules in favor of one or the other. There is a reboot of Singled Out, uh, which is the former uh, MTV reality series. Uh, I think Kiki Palmer hosts that show. Thanks a million has people like Kristen Bell, Jennifer Lopez, Joe Jonas giving money to unsuspecting recipients. This is all real. Uh, <laughs> Will Forte and Jerry O'Connell are on the show called flipped, which is a like sitcom about wannabe house flippers, which I watched the first episode of. It's actually kind of funny. LeBron James, as I said, on this documentary series, Titus Burgess hosts a cooking show. Um, this is what Jeffrey Katzenberg is really good at. He's good at attracting big names. He's good at attracting high profile talent. And I will say this, this roster of talent far surpasses what anyone thought Jeffrey Katzenberg could get three years ago. No doubt about it. This is a goddamn miracle that this many high profile celebrities are signed on for Quibi shows. It's incredible. And there are plenty more in the pipeline. This far surpasses what Apple TV, for example, was able to get. This far surpasses what Disney Plus has gotten to this date. If we're just talking about big names on new streaming services, Quibi is most impressive. So Jeffrey Katzenberg is winning what I call the press release game. He is generating buzz. He is generating word of mouth. It may not be positive word of mouth, but people are talking about Quibi. That's the old uh, communication theory. You can't control what people think, but you can control what people think about and as long as the name Quibi appears in headlines, as long as the word Quibi comes up in water cooler conversation, Jeffrey Katzenberg is doing something right. Doesn't mean people are going to pay for Quibi. Doesn't mean people are going to watch Quibi. Doesn't mean Quibi's going to be around for over a year. But it's April 6th. I'm sorry, April 7th. And I'm leading off my show, my pop culture podcast, with a discussion of Quibi. So good on you, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, uh, 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 positive number two. Silver lining number two, let's call it. I subscribed to the app, or at least I signed up for the 90-day free trial, which, by the way, a very devious trial period. <laughs> every app in America, every streaming service should sign people up for 90-day free trials because it is the perfect amount of time where you're going to forget about the subscription. There is no shot after two weeks. You're probably going to remember. Oh yeah. I signed up for, uh, for shutter, the horror streaming service better cancel that before I get charged 20 bucks. 
Most streaming services, two weeks, month, even two months, you can get away with. Three months, there is no shot at the beginning of July I'm going to remember to cancel my Quibi subscription. They are getting at least one uh, $7 charge out of me. At least one. I don't know about the second, but I assure you I'm going to forget by the beginning of July. Um, So 90-day free trial. I signed up for it. I played around with the app. I didn't watch every show. I didn't watch more than one episode of any particular show because none of them really caught my interest. I watched the Chrissy Teigen thing. I watched the Sophie Turner thing. Uh, I watched the most dangerous game. I watched the Will Forte thing. I, I actually watched Punked. I uh, I did not watch Singled Out yet. I-, I watched most of the scripted stuff because the unscripted stuff, I mean, Snapchat's doing that already, right? <laughs> so I wanted to see how this looked on the scripted side. There is this new technology that Quibi has been touting for several months now. It is the uh, the vertical horizontal um, aspect ratio technology. I don't know what they're calling it. Yeah, what what the hell are they calling it? Let me look this up real quick. Um, but essentially, you can watch a Quibi show vertically or horizontally uh, in portrait or in landscape mode, and the shows are actually shot to fit those two particular aspect ratios. So if you go to widescreen, characters very rarely appear in close-up. It's like a, a character will be standing there, the only person in the frame, and there, there will be like three quarters of empty space on the screen. The, the shows don't really fill the canvas in the way you want them to. If you're watching in that horizontal mode, they're kind of designed where the horizontal mode looks a little more natural, but if you watch it in vertical, you're not missing any detail. So there are no close-ups on any of these shows. They are all done in, in the wide shot. It's, so shows look a little dull for that particular reason. But the technology that uh, shifts between portrait and landscape is very impressive. Um, let's see. Uh, what, what is this thing called? Is it just rotating video tech? Oh, yeah, because there was a lawsuit about this. Turnstile is the name of the company. Um, or that, that is what the company is referring uh, to the technology as. But there's this, no, this other video developer called Echo that has sued Quibi for stealing the intellectual property. Anyway, the technology is impressive. And um, it was a very intuitive experience. I was never confused or overwhelmed by the platform and considering that it is a mobile platform it is built for phones quibi shows are not meant to be viewed on televisions you have to have an intuitive um uh, an intuitive user experience and i definitely had that this technology can easily be sold to another video developer and i i do think it is at least the future of short form video is it the future of Hollywood? Is it the future of television? Is it, is it the future of cinema? Uh, man, I don't see it. I don't see it. And I desperately wanted to see it. That's the thing. I downloaded this app with an open mind. I did not go into it with the cynicism of some cinephiles on the internet. I know there are a lot of people on Twitter saying that Quibi is offensive to the medium of big screen cinema. Yes, I get it. I understand your complaints. I am not that guy. I am open-minded about new technology. I'm open-minded about new forms of storytelling, new forms of pop culture. There is no reason why independent cinema like Parasite 
And, uh, you know, eight episodes of the most dangerous game on Quibi cannot coexist. I am totally open to a new form of storytelling. I don't think, again, this is going to replace television or replace cinema by any means, but I was open to something new and different. This is just shitty YouTube, though. This app is shitty YouTube. Uh, Wait a minute. Let me take that back. This is shitty, expensive YouTube. I do not know who in the world is going to pay for this. Again, beside people like me, who July 4th are going to be charged $7 because they forgot to cancel the subscription, I don't see any other sources of revenue for this app. Who in the world is going to pay for this? I, I just think this was a massive, a massive, massive miscalculation. Jeffrey Katzenberg is fighting two fronts on this. You have to understand this, right? Jeffrey Katzenberg is trying to um, uh, it's trying to prove that smart, engaging, big-budget Hollywood fare can be viewed on smartphones in eight-minute increments. And he's also trying to prove simultaneously that people are willing to pay a premium for content that is available for free on YouTube. So he is fighting both legacy media and contemporary digital media. He's fighting two fronts. He is both a Netflix competitor and a YouTube competitor. He is fighting both Hulu and Instagram at the same time. This is, I just think, a very dangerous gray area that he's playing in right now. And I don't think it's going to work because he has to, again, educate two different subsections of the market. He has to educate people that are interested in high-quality entertainment to watch these things on their phone in in small increments, and he has to educate people that are watching YouTube for free to pay for this content. Seriously, I see no difference, or at least a negligible difference, from some of the stuff I saw on Quibi and some of the stuff I see on YouTube every single day. The only difference is the star power. The only difference is Chrissy Teigen. The only difference is Luke Hemsworth. The only difference is Christoph Waltz. The only difference is Sophie Turner. There seriously is no difference between this and those short form videos on Snapchat, which I don't know about you. I have never watched in my entire life. I'm on Snapchat every day, man. I'm snapping with people. I'm sending pics. They're sending pics back. (laughs) Posting to my story every now and again. I'm not an 80-year-old man. I'm on Snapchat. I'm out there, you know. How else are you going to hit up the ladies these days as a young eligible bachelor? Um, (laughs) I'm on Snapchat. I swipe to that discover section every day. I don't think I've ever consciously clicked on one of those videos and sat there and enjoyed them. Who's watching those? Apparently someone's watching them because Snapchat still has, is is trading publicly on Wall Street, right? So I don't know. They're making money somehow. That must be one of their sources of revenue. I, I don't see any difference between that content and the stuff on Quibi beside the star power. I mean, there's this one show. I flipped it on for maybe two minutes. I couldn't even get through the eight minute episode. 
That's how bad some of these shows are. It was like a relationship advice show. Here's how you can create the perfect Tinder profile. I got through about two minutes and I'm like, dude, there is more engaging content about the same subject matter available on YouTube for free. And it's being produced by one person in their basement. I just think this was a miscalculation from day one. I think since he began raising money for this three years ago, Katzenberg has been operating from a faulty premise. And that premise is people are willing to pay money for content they can get for free on YouTube. I don't think Netflix is the competitor here. Let me be very clear. I don't think Hulu is the competitor. I think Quibi has successfully differentiated themselves from the Hulu's, Amazon's, Netflix's of the world, the Disney Plus's of the world. I do think so. I don't think they've differentiated themselves from TikTok. I don't think they've differentiated themselves from Snapchat. That is their greatest competitor. When you're sitting at the doctor's office waiting to be seen, you're scrolling through Instagram videos, aren't you? You're playing Candy Crush. You're checking your Twitter feed. I mean, there has never been there has never been a shortage of content to fill your 10 to 20 minutes of free time, to fill your hour-long commute on the bus. That's never been an issue. What we are hungry for is content to fill our time when we're sitting on our sofas, when we're laying in bed with our partners. Like, that's what people are hungry for. I think this is a miscalculation. I truly do. I think Katzenberg has, again, executed this to the best of his ability, has done his job well. I don't think he's developed particularly great shows thus far, but he has attracted big names and he has generated buzz. And for a new uh, tech company in its infancy, yeah, that's all you can ask for. But I think he misread the way culture was going. I think it's a misread. Are people using their phones more? Yeah. Are people watching more short form entertainment on the internet? I guess. But people are also watching several episodes of serialized Netflix shows every day. They're watching HBO at high rates. Game of Thrones, the highest rated show of the decade. Network television, obsolete. Cable, on the rise. The Irishman, released on Netflix. Marriage Story, released on Netflix. Both did very well. Television and film is getting smarter. Audiences are getting smarter. They crave a challenge. They crave something difficult. They crave something sophisticated. That's the trend, Katzenberg. That's the trend. Serialized storytelling over several hours. We binge watch. We don't snack. Sure, we go to YouTube for a quick hit. We go to Instagram for a quick hit. We go to TikTok for a quick hit. What leads you to believe that the Sophie Turner, Corey Hawkins show survive is better suited for 10-minute episodes than an hour on HBO. I'll be honest with you. I watched that first episode, 
of that show, I was actually offended. So that show is about um, a uh, a young girl. I think she's like 17 or whatever. She's a teenager and she's living in a facility um, for, for troubled youth with mental illnesses. And uh, she's, she's suicidal. She has suicidal tendencies. She cuts herself. And um, the show is very explicit about that. And the show is about her escape from the facility. Um, I watched the first episode. Again, it was eight minutes long. They got right into it. There is no time for exposition on any of these shows. They just jump into the premise right away. And, you know, I'm watching it and it has such heavy subject matter. And I was like offended that this show exists in this medium. I was offended on behalf of the format. You know what I'm saying? Like this subject matter deserves an hour of my time. It doesn't deserve 10 minutes of my time. Right? If you're going to tackle dark shit, like suicide, like teenage suicide, give it to me in an hour format, two hour format, 10 hour format. Like it was a wannabe version of that show Euphoria, the Zendaya show on HBO. Like it was just a B rate version of that. But it just felt so much more exploitative because it wasn't given the care of a 10 part HBO series. Like the subject matter deserves, in my opinion, respect. And to put it on Quibi sort of reduces it to this snackable popcorn entertainment. Does that make sense? You know, it's like it's like watching if like the Looney Tunes did a five-minute segment if chuck jones animated a five-minute segment about teenage suicide it's like that's not the platform it's the platform for a certain kind of entertainment not for this kind of entertainment and i understand the medium is evolving i understand that you're looking to push the medium forward in some way that this is a unique storytelling challenge that several creators several writers have risen have risen to right i understand that I just felt really icky watching it. I felt gross watching it. And every show sort of gave me that cognitive dissonance. Like the cinematography was okay. The acting was okay. The writing wasn't terrible. But there was something about the platform that felt off. Perhaps I'm not conditioned yet. Perhaps Katzenberg is leaps and bounds ahead of me on this subject. Lord knows he's been ahead of several people on several different subjects over the past three decades. I don't see it, though. I just don't see it. Pick what you want to be. Either be a YouTube, be a prestige YouTube, and don't charge anybody anything, and play ads during your videos, and maybe you can be a TikTok of sorts, or be Netflix, be Hulu, be Amazon, and just make good television without constraints without the traditional constraints of, say, network television, NBC, ABC, CBS. There's a reason why they are no longer around and Netflix is the biggest entertainment company in the world. There's a reason for that. Because people don't embrace limitations. People don't embrace censorship. People don't embrace studio notes. They embrace high-quality art without bounds. That's what streaming, that is the unique benefit of streaming services. That is the one thing they offer that network television can no longer offer, that traditional cable can no longer offer because of ad constraints. They present 
limited storytelling possibilities. And Quibi, in that respect, does not feel like a step forward. It feels like a massive step back. But we shall see. We shall see what the subscriber numbers look like. We shall see if they maintain subscribers over the next three months after the trials have run out. Obviously, uh, this platform is being introduced to a world that Jeffrey Katzenberg or anyone could have could not have anticipated. The coronavirus has no doubt hurt Quibi. They were, again, designed for dentist uh, waiting rooms. They were designed for hour-long commutes. They were designed for the break room. Everyone's sitting at home. Netflix is on the television. The phone is not the place for escape. It is the place for news. I don't see many people signing up for this in the wake of the coronavirus, nor did I see many people signing up for it anyway. So this is only another setback in what has been a long and winding road for Jeffrey Katzenberg and Quibi. I do wish them the best, I guess, but I will not continue to be watching. This is Cultured. We shall be right back. Um, so Louis C.K. is back. <laughs> He's here. Whether you like it or not, whether you welcome him back with open arms or you give him the cold shoulder, Louis C.K. is back in our lives with a new stand-up special. Sincerely, Louis C.K. is the name of it. It is self-distributed on his website, louisck.com. $8 is the price that you must pay to stream an hour's worth of stand-up after three years in uh, social isolation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, CK was distancing long before we were. Uh, he, he is back with a, with a stand-up special, the first in several years, and the first since uh, accusations, not just accusations, um, uh, a confession on the part of CK of sexual misconduct in the workplace and out of the workplace. Uh, jerking off in front of women. That's really the particular charge. I think everyone understands that. Um, and, you know, this is, uh, this is a difficult subject, right? And we've talked about it on this show several times and on other shows several times. And, you know, my uh, point of view, I think, is unique in that I understand why some feel uncomfortable with consuming Louis C.K.'s art or Woody Allen's art or uh, Michael Jackson's art. Um, but I also acknowledge that the art is separate and apart from the artist and I am down to continue to watch Woody Allen movies and to continue to listen to thriller and yeah, even continue to watch Louis CK standup specials. I paid $8 for that special. I mean, maybe that makes me a misogynist and a sexist and, uh, and a, uh, and a horrible human being. Maybe I'll get fired from a job one day for saying I paid $8 for a standup special, but <laughs> Yeah, I paid for it. I gave Louis C.K. $8 of my money, knowing what he once did to women behind closed doors. Yes, I paid $8, and uh, that $8 will, I guess, now weigh heavy on my soul. I was really interested. I was really interested. I was interested in seeing what is, I think, undoubtedly one of the 10 greatest comedians of all time, grapple with one of the biggest scandals to ever rock stand-up comedy um what happened to louis ck although the behavior was not unique the fallout was unique he um he uh committed his transgressions 
in the midst of Me Too. Me Too uh, did to his career what was, uh, was very rarely done to a man's career when they committed the same crimes and indiscretions in show business. Um, and I really wanted to see what he had to say. I wanted to see what it would look like on the other side of this. I wanted to see what social exile and um, the destruction of of his career did to an aging Louis C.K. And I certainly wanted to see if he could make it funny. I wanted to see if he still was funny. And I think this is my biggest grievance, my biggest gripe with Louis C.K. detractors. If you never want to give Louis C.K. a dollar of your money ever again, cool. If you never want to see Louis C.K. in a stand-up comedy club ever again, cool. This is all your right as a consumer, and I respect and appreciate your point of view, and perhaps you are a better person than me. Um, I do not buy the argument that Louis C.K.'s indiscretions make him any less funny or any less brilliant as a stand-up comedian. And I think this should go without saying, but for some reason it has not gone without saying. Let me give you an example. Back in, what was it, 2017, when the accusations broke in the New York Times, um, that very week, Louis' new film starring Chloe Grace Moretz and John Malkovich was going to be released in theaters. It was called I Love You, Daddy. To this day, it has not received a mainstream release. No theaters have shown it. I believe Louis bought the rights to the movie back and I think is sitting on it for, I guess, one day when he's going to sell it on his website. I don't know. Um, This film was supposed to go wide though it was supposed to be a major release perhaps an award season contender in the weeks leading up to the film coming out i remember reading a lot of positive coverage about it i remember seeing several positive reviews and like from high profile critics not some schmucks with a blog i I can't cite any specific examples but i'm pretty sure the rolling uh, rolling stone magazine gave it a, a positive review pretty sure the new yorker gave it a positive review um, it, it had a lot of buzz coming out of the festival circuit. The second the story comes out, the film is dropped from theaters and a wave of negative reviews flood the internet. As though his indiscretions away from the soundstage make Louis' work as a filmmaker any less valid. I had a real problem with that. There was something that felt disingenuous. And I understand this is a line that we are toying all the time as pop culture consumers. I I understand that. Um, The line between art and artist is more blurred in this industry than any other industry because there is the most of you in a work of art than there is in any other profession. Like if you're an accountant that sexually harasses women on the side, it doesn't hurt your ability to file a tax return. Art is different because so much of the artist is is imbued and and hard-coded into the work of art. So when you learn something about the artist from offstage, from offscreen, it colors the way you view the art onstage and onscreen. That being said, the art is still the art. And the art still has merit apart from the artist. And I have a major problem with with the revisionist history here, that Louis C.K. is no longer 
a brilliant comedian and an excellent filmmaker because he did some shitty things behind closed doors. And in no way am I defending the behavior. No way am I justifying the behavior. In no way am I making an argument for the career of Louis C.K. I'm not sure that I am in a position to say whether or not Louis should ever perform on a stand-up comedy stage ever again or ever put out a film ever again. I, I am not in that position and I will not make an argument one way or the other. But the art is still the art and I'm going to defend the art because it's goddamn good art. And I watched this special. It was an hour long and I liked it. I laughed. I liked it. And I was reminded, oh yeah, this guy's a creep. But he's really good at what he does. He's really, really good at what he does. Um, there was also this narrative, and I guess this is the way that the media works, right? Uh, you know, we look at things without context, and we assign context to it, and the story gets lost, and it, it sort of gets out of control. And I think that's what happened last year when Louis performed his first set. I think it was at the Comedy Cellar in New York and uh, he went on this riff about um, about millennials and about woke culture and about uh, transgenderism and, uh, and about all of these liberal causes. And uh, you know, he sounded a lot like Rush Limbaugh during the set, right? he sounded a lot like even let's go further than Rush Limbaugh, like a, a Milo Yiannopoulos character, like a, a, like a right wing provocateur out there to simply offend and, uh, you know, not really make a point. Or at least the point is embedded within the offense. Like the idea was to offend it in, in your audience's, um, in your audience dismay, do you find the, the actual message of the art? So I, I think we saw this clip because some schmuck in a comedy club filmed it and put it on YouTube. We saw this clip and we thought, oh no. Louis C.K. has transitioned into a new period of his career. He is now just a right-wing troll. And that's just not fair. It's just not fair because, first of all, stand-up comedians go to comedy clubs literally every night in this country and workshop material that never sees a, a, a major stage, never finds its way into an HBO or Netflix special. Like, there is plenty of bad material that a comedian will just try out one night and they'll work on it and maybe it'll evolve into something else or maybe they'll scrap it all together. But in no way should one night's worth of material in a comedy club define a comic's entire act. But of course, live comedy is different than it was 30 years ago. We have smartphones, we have YouTube, we have the internet. What you say in front of 20 people is just as significant as what you say in front of 20 million people. Or at least it can be as significant if someone posts the clip on YouTube. I guess I'm trying to say that I'm shocked how familiar this special felt. I'm shocked how much of the old Louis C.K. was still there. Louis was just as insightful, just as hilarious, just as engaging, just as irreverent, just as cynical as he's ever been. Why I thought different, who the hell knows. Perhaps I thought that this experience may have changed him for the negative. Perhaps I thought he wouldn't have the same chip on his shoulder that he once did. Or he would have such a massive chip on his shoulder that the special would feel disingenuous. 
Or maybe I just view Louis C.K. in a different way than I did three years ago. But the guy is still fucking funny, man. The guy can still construct a punchline. The guy knows how to write a joke. The guy knows how to say something with his platform. Does that mean he should ever work again? Uh, Who am I? Who am I to say? If a network doesn't want to sign him, if a theater doesn't want to book him, if a television studio doesn't want to finance his next project, who am I, man? Who am I with my lowly podcast to say Louis C.K. must be accepted back into the mainstream? In fact, I was just having a conversation with Jabril about this yesterday. Uh, my friend Jabril, who who uh, who is often on the Movie Hall of Fame with me, uh, he he asked me, "Do you ever think Louis will be accepted into the mainstream again?" And I said, "It depends what you think the mainstream is. Depends how you define mainstream." And he goes, "Well, I mean, he won a bunch of Emmys, and he was recognized as the greatest stand-up of his generation, and..." He made a bunch of movies that received good reviews and uh, he goes, he was just respected by everyone. And I go, well, do I think he's going to win an Emmy ever again? No. Do I think he's ever going to make a television show for a major network ever again? No. Do I think he'll ever make a film again that's not independently financed or self-financed? No. Do I think that he's going to play Madison Square Garden ever again? Maybe. But I could see the argument why he wouldn't. But I don't think that necessarily defines mainstream. Like, I, I read about this in the Times a couple days ago. Dude is still selling out theaters in Europe and in America. His tours are still highly profitable, and I'm sure this stand-up special will be highly profitable. He still appears at all the major comedy clubs. I don't think there is any major comedy club in New York and L.A. that says you can't play there anymore. He's still going out. Audiences seem to embrace him in a live environment, not necessarily on the internet, but in, uh, in, in a theater, in a comedy club, thunderous applause. So do I think he's going to receive the sort of industry recognition from his peers that he once did? Certainly not. But do I think that the guy can still work, can still make a good living and can still have a cultural impact? I think that's almost inevitable. I think a talent like Louis C.K., is hard to just kick off the face of the planet. A voice so distinct and a, and a style so, uh, so brilliant is, is hard to put a, mu- a muzzle on. You know what I mean? Again, doesn't necessarily mean he should or shouldn't. I'm not defending the guy. I, I'm, I'm just saying I was interested by the special. I watched the special. I enjoyed the special. And this idea of separating art from artists has always been easier for me than it has everyone else. I know my friend Joe and I, we talked about this with Dave Chappelle. Um, when, when, when was that? I guess last year? Man, it was a while ago. We talked about Sticks and Stones, the new Dave Chappelle special, and all these ideas of art and artists and uh, what you say in a stand-up stage and, and the, the sort of moral impact that has on society. Look, I've had this debate with several people. This exercise has always been easier for me. In fact, when someone displays problematic behavior, I am almost more interested in them, not less. Um, and I get why you wouldn't, and I get why you wouldn't want to listen to me talk about a special. Never mind, watch the special. So uh, that's that. That is my point of view. I enjoyed the special. Um, I, I do think that uh, 
Some of the early press was misleading. I don't think Louie has changed all that much. And I don't think he's going away anytime soon. All right. Done walking on eggshells. Let's take a break. We'll come back with a little more culture. Stick around. So the coronavirus continues to wreak havoc on the film industry this week, like every other industry in the world. Every day there seems to be a new piece of news, a new production that's been shut down, a new release that's been delayed. Movie theaters are closed. They will presumably remain closed for two to three months. Who knows how many of those theaters will be able to reopen once bans are lifted. Who knows if Americans will have any interest in going to movie theaters once the ban is lifted. I think it's more likely than not that we're going to see six to seven months of limbo. People are going back to work. People are no longer social distancing. They're trying to resume life as they once knew it. And movie theaters are uh, are, are going to be too risky. There's going to be a, a, still some paranoia around this virus, even as the pandemic begins to slow down. People are not going to want to congregate in a sweaty movie theater with a hundred other people watching Black Widow. Uh, people are not going to want to go to sporting events. So even as we resume normalcy, quote unquote, there's still going to be a little bit of apprehension. There's still going to be an element of social distancing. It's not going to be like, you know, Saturday, we're in total lockdown, and then we flip the switch. Sunday, everybody can go out and spit in each other's mouths, you know? <laughs> like, they're... There is going to be a gray area and institutions like movie theaters, physical movie theaters are going to pay the harshest price for this. Um, I think many like myself were quick to write their think pieces, were quick to record their podcasts saying that this was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. This coronavirus epidemic would signal the death of physical movie theater going as we know it. Um, It's important to note that this is all speculation. We don't have the data on this yet. There has not been a single tentpole release sent straight to on demand because of the coronavirus. Everything that we've seen so far, The Invisible Man, The Way Back, The Hunt, Onward, all of those movies had limited theatrical runs. They ran for at least a weekend or two, and some of them did quite well in theaters And once the studio saw that theaters were shutting down, they decided to move those releases to the on-demand platform in order to recoup some of their losses. Marvel is not going to release Black Widow on demand. Um, You know, uh, the the upcoming Christopher Nolan movie, Tenant, will not be released on demand. Studios are more than happy to delay these releases several weeks because they know what works for them. The, the physical theater going model still works for most movies, especially of that budget. It's hard to recoup your money on the Fast and Furious sequel, which you paid $300 million to make by putting it on Netflix, you know, where you're only making a dollar to $2 per eyeball. I guess you could sell it to Netflix to recoup uh, your, your money back. But I, I think most studios are acting under the assumption that audiences are not willing to pay $20 to watch Captain Marvel at home. They are not willing to pay $20 to watch, um, I don't know, the upcoming SpongeBob SquarePants movie at home. Some studios are playing around with this idea. Again, uh, uh, I think we talked about Trolls World Tour 
the third installment of the Trolls series. That's going straight to on demand. That will be the first, I guess, major release. But again, that's a children's movie. That is uh, not a summer tent pole. DreamWorks Animation or whoever the hell is behind that movie <laughs> was not banking on Trolls 3 to pay the bills for the rest of the year. Um, Disney is relying on the upcoming Marvel releases to do that. Universal is banking on the Fast and Furious movie to make a billion dollars worldwide. So um, we don't have the data. If you look on iTunes charts, again, this is less than anecdotal evidence. This is, this is barely scientific in any way. Um, the Hunt did not do well on demand. It didn't re- uh, reach number one on the iTunes charts. And I'm sure it made some money. I'm sure more people saw it than would have in a physical theater. But $20 is still a big ask. You have to train the audience to pay a premium. It's like what we were talking about with Quibi. Um, this is uncharted territory. You not only have to uh, you know, convince a, uh, a legacy studio to play by a new set of rules. You also have to convince audiences to play along with those rules. $20 is a big price point to pay for The Invisible Man. $20 is a big price point to pay for Onward. Um, so the, the long and short of it is we just don't know. Obviously, we know that Netflix is the biggest entertainment company in the world. We know that the summer box office in years past has been less than stellar. And uh, physical movie theater going, although still a lucrative business, is not the way of the future. Is this the nail in the coffin? I just don't know. I suspect not, but I just don't know. Um, that being said, something really big happened this week beyond all of the uh, delays. If you look on the, the, the uh, release schedule right now, just you know, look at, at the next two months actually three months worth of movie releases. There's just nothing. It's a complete ghost town. Every major film has been delayed in some way, shape or form. Uh, Black Widow, obviously. Um, I think the, the next release is the upcoming purge sequel. And that's in July. Quiet place. Part two delayed to September minions. The rise of Gru has been delayed to an unspecified date. Top gun. Maverick is now a December release. That's going to be a very crowded December Wonder Woman 1984 has been pushed. Uh, Mulan has been pushed. Candyman has been pushed. Um, the only the only movie, the only major movie, is this thing called Artemis Fowl, which was supposed to come out on May 29th. It's a Disney production directed by Kenneth Branagh. I'm not familiar with the source material there. But Disney Plus is going to be releasing this thing Artemis Fowl will not have a theatrical run. This is significant news. Theaters um, have been very critical of studios like DreamWorks releasing Trolls 3 early. Is that a DreamWorks production? I could just totally be making that up. I <laughs> Hang on. Let me see. Trolls 3 Studio... Um, Universal. I'm sorry. Okay. Theater uh, owners were pissed at Universal a couple weeks ago when they said that Trolls World Tour was not going to make a theatrical window. Very pissed about this. Um, Disney, I think, was attempting to remain in the good graces of theater owners 
and they for a while there refused to take anything off the release schedule this is um their first act of aggression this is the first movie that did not see a theatrical release that will be going straight to disney plus um screwing over some theater owners i don't know like what the box office draw of artemis fowl would have been (laughs) otherwise but yeah you, you get my point um that that was major. I, Disney is, I think, the industry leader on this. I, I think everyone is sort of following in Disney's footsteps, um, sort of like the world of sports is doing with the NBA. It's like everyone is just following what Adam Silver decides to do when the NBA shut down their season. Uh, that's when MLB uh, followed in its footsteps. Um, they were the industry leader. They were the line leaders on this. Um, so... Now that Disney has said, all right, we're going to play around with the streaming model some more. We're going to remove a major summer tent pole from the schedule and we're going to see how it does on the app. Uh, you know, everyone's watching. Everyone is watching what the Disney Corporation does. And um, I would not be surprised if some of these upcoming releases, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, uh, again, the next purge chapter. Um, some of these other like middle of the road, like not necessarily summer tentpole, but like big budget summer releases that theoretically could do well with a smaller audience. I would not be surprised to see something like that on a streaming service. I, I think actually A Quiet Place Part 2 is a perfect candidate to be sold to Netflix. They have the the sort of bird box demographic. People like watching horror movies on Netflix. It's just, it's a good environment for that. Watching horror at home, I, I think is more rewarding than watching horror in a theater. Um, it, it's sort of a, I mean, it's a big budget blockbuster, I guess. But it, it's kind of like intended for that adult demo. It's a modestly priced adult horror movie. Um, would not be surprised if you saw that on a streaming service. It's just a gray area. It's the Wild West right now. We just don't know. We just don't know what the correct approach is because no one in the world knows what the correct approach is to anything. Um, so that happened. But I did want to also mention this. Let me take a swig of water first. I've been podcasting for a while, by the way. I just did a two cents radio with Rob and Nick and I was screaming at them for an hour and a half and then I did this show. So, oh, man. Life never stops for Nico, professional podcaster in quarantine. Um, <laughs> um, the Golden Globes announced a rule change. This thing was buried in, in the press release. I couldn't believe this. So it's actually both the Golden Globes and Emmys that changed their rules. The Emmys extended their eligibility period. Generally, June 1st is the cutoff for when your show has to air in order to compete for the Emmys. Uh, The season has been extended because there are uh, many events held in the greater LA area around the Emmys. Um, Shows will um, start their four-year consideration campaigns. Um, They're called FYC campaigns. And that usually involves not only a bunch of billboards all over Hollywood, but it involves like the creators and stars of particular shows um, doing Q&A events live Q&A events for critics and press and Emmy voters uh, in an effort to curry favor 
So you can't do that unless you can gather in a physical space. So the uh, Emmy season has been postponed, although the Emmys are still scheduled to air on the same date in September as planned. Hollywood Foreign Press Association, though, with the Golden Globes, I know this stuff is so in the weeds, announced a, a pretty significant change. You no longer have to screen your movie in a theater in order to compete in the film categories. Uh, streaming media is now eligible for the film awards. This is a major thing. This is a huge thing. Obviously, it's not the Oscars. It's not the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Until the Oscars does this, the the change is not uh, totally in effect. But, um, I mean, for years we've been talking about these eligibility requirements. We've been talking about Netflix movies competing for major awards without uh, any major release in a theater. If this rule change is here to stay, if this is just not an anomalous situation where the Hollywood Foreign Press is only going to change it for this one year, uh, I I think we've sort of crossed over into a new frontier. This is major, major news. If a theater, uh, if if a movie can screen just at home for people, if an on-demand release, if a streaming service release is eligible for a Golden Globe... Um, the coronavirus truly has changed the game forever. Perhaps it was always going that way. I think many industry insiders predicted that it would go that way. But this, I do believe, is the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of award season. I think this is the new normal. Streaming movies, streaming films, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, can now compete without putting out The Irishman Marriage Story in theaters. Uh, huge news, huge news. And that is just one of a million ways the culture has changed forever because of the coronavirus, the biggest story of my lifetime. Rest in peace to Bill Withers. One of the great soul musicians of all time. Bill Withers dead at the age of 82. Uh, and that's it. That's the podcast. Actually, I'll play out to a little Bill Withers. How about that? Let's do it. I don't really have much to say about him other than the guy had some great songs, some iconic songs. And uh, he will certainly be missed. And by the way, um, anybody that has lost someone because of this awful disease, um, it's very possible that you don't know anyone yet, but you will very shortly. And that is a horrible situation. And my heart does go out to the people of New York city. And by the way, I just, I know a bunch of people that live in New York city that have been hit by this. Um, and just for it to be so close to home, I live in Connecticut. It's one state over. It's tough, man. It's really tough. Um, but we'll get through this and, uh, take care of yourselves and, uh, you know, try not to stress yourself out. I think that's the big thing, right? Like you can only control how you react to a certain situation. You can't control how the situation reacts to you. So, you know, read a book, watch a movie, listen to an album, go for a walk, work out, um, whatever it takes just to keep yourself sane. I'm doing the best that I can. And, uh, all you can do is, is do the same. So that's it. I love you. I love you so very, very much. Go to the website, tmt.media, too many thoughts, media.com for more content. We are chugging along there. New two cents. Again, I just recorded it. New movie Hall of Fame coming this week. New wisest thing this week. We're popping, man. We're popping. I love you.
And uh, here, here is the uh, immortal Bill Withers playing us out. And I hope that you do come back next week because you know what happens then. You and I, we're going to get culture! Anytime.